Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello! And welcome to another Top 10 Debate. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by Michael Sidgwick from What Culture to discuss times the competition totally embarrassed WWE. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts where we review Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AW Dynamite, pay-per-views. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week complete with a bloody good quiz, of course, on WrestleCoach. As I said, they're joined by Michael Citrus to talk about his article, 10 Times the Competition, Totally Embarrassed WWE, which you can read right now at whatculture.com. I think I know the answer to this one. I'm going to ask it anyway, Michael Sidgwick. What was the catalyst behind this list? Funny. (laughs) It's just funny. Look, I have to cover this professionally for a living. Um, In the years before I didn't do this, I still kept abreast of various, well, all of the WWE developments because I'm a glutton for punishment. It really, my employment here intersected with my, oh, if I wasn't getting paid to do this, I wouldn't watch it at all. This company has told you, right, to golf <laughs> so many times over the past however many years. Oh, you like this guy? Well, don't. I'm actually going to tell you on screen why you shouldn't like this guy and why you should like this guy instead. But we like this guy. Well, fuck you. You're not making the decisions here, are you? I've said frequently in the past, however many years too, that WWE was so arrogant and so antagonistic and so unwilling to embrace the change that fans literally told them very loudly, this is what we kind of want to happen, guys. They just went, well, you guys, that they created from a position of a monopoly, no less, their own competition in the form of AEW. AEW listens to fans like me, and there are many more like me, I'm afraid. Sorry, Al. Sorry for all those out there who don't like me. (laughs) And they went, right, okay, well, what we'll do is we'll create a promotion, and what we'll do is we'll just look at the WWE handbook and do everything that they don't do Mm -hmm. and become popular and emerge as competition as a result. Not only are they antagonistic and arrogant, but they just have so many horrible values as a company. You look at the way they book various baby phases. You look at some of the people they hire to write this television, and I'm not just looking at the McMahons and Triple H, Road Dog and Dana Warrior, like two deeply revolting, unpleasant people. 
It's just nice when they get their asses handed to them. Mm. I'm sorry. It simply is funny and cathartic when they get shown up. And just to tie this point up in a neat little bow, not only is it funny, not only are they just not a nice organization, but they themselves for years have marketed the company as, and I quote or paraphrase, close enough, the recognized global leader in sports entertainment. Are you? Are you? Because I've got 10 examples and we'll crop a few here where I can tell you that resoundingly is not the case. Look, all I'm all I'm doing here is just fact-checking, right? That's what I do. Fact-checking their claims to be the recognized market leader in global sports entertainment. Hmm. Yeah, don't get me wrong. Like, I'm still a big fan of WWE. I was literally... Just earlier on today, me and me and Hamflot were doing a podcast about the return of John Cena, and I was giddy with excitement, booking what he could do when he comes back and who he can interact with. Maybe challenges for the world title at SummerSlam. Who knows? But it, it's like I, it's like I used to be a Man United fan when I was growing up. Everyone in my in my town was a Man United fan, so I was a Man United fan. And then I realised, oh, I'm never going to get to watch Man United, and I've no connection to them whatsoever. So I continued my support of my local team which i've been doing in the background the mighty chesterfield fc and now like i can just enjoy what happens it's funny when man united lose to some minnows or liverpool or whoever it may be and you know it not it's not quite at the same level but it is akin with AEW. and i want to talk immediately obviously about the wednesday night wars to start off with sige but is it akin to i think this is true blockbuster being offered netflix and going <laughs> Mate, right, thanks. And then like, look what happens. Now. I'm not suggesting that that's what's going to happen in AEW and WWE's future. Who's, who's to know? But yes, it is preposterous that this company started just out of sheer frustration with WWE. And let's talk, obviously, about the Wednesday Night Wars, which, you know, AEW didn't win. It was WWE moving for the hockey. But it certainly looked that way. It looked like AEW won. It was trending in that direction. It had to have been trending in that direction. <laughs> You can argue the sliding doors moment if the hockey hadn't have um, changed everything. You can argue whether USA Network, which used to have suits, would much rather have thought, right, we could have a suits here or we could get our arse handed to us in the demos every single Wednesday for a product that literally, by definition, isn't a growth product because at some point, even though Christ Almighty, they haven't done enough of it and it doesn't feel like it, NXT functions to introduce wrestlers to the audience, which is a euphemism for we don't trust these indie guys to work on TV, these loose cannons who at the same time are too piss scared to knock at Vince McMahon's door. So why on earth would they say anything bad in a promo? We could invest in this or we could just say, right, do you want a different night so we can get a better demo share and we can just find something that might be a suit for us. Ultimately, it was trending in one direction and it might have even been funnier the longer it went on. Obviously, I would prefer AEW to potentially reach the absolute maximum audience and all going well, you know, said it before, there were nitros in stadiums in 1998. I would much prefer that to having AEW defeat NXT. Like, it was funny. I wasn't emotionally invested in it. Like, I'm a critic. Um... But it was just funny how they decided, right, okay, Billy Big Bollocks, you have the temerity to promote wrestling. That thing that we won't even acknowledge is wrestling because we call it sports entertainment. Nope, can't be having that. 
We can't be having any kind of competition because we apparently like it. It's, it's just that, it's that narrative still funny. WWE, the love competition. What happens is when a competitor surfaces, right? Okay, lights a fire under our ass and we give you the best product possible. Look, it happened all the way back in 1998. Well, 1998 is not 2019 or 2020 or 2021. You are incapable of producing like a really good, trendy, buzzworthy alternative pro wrestling show because you have your own warped, totally arrogant vision for what all this should be. And what this should be is totally heavily produced, micromanaged, like glossy sports entertainment. And what happened was it wasn't the alternative. And WWE decided, well, we're going to compete. That's what makes us great. Well, it made you lose. Didn't make you great, actually. It made you lose resoundingly. Um, so what happened was NXT for a while felt, and I've said this so many times, I can't wait for a year when somebody else gets a credit for this take. NXT for the longest time without an actual alternative felt like an alternative. I received it as an alternative. And in some level, it was an alternative. Great action, feel-good storytelling, a cyclical way of doing things where nothing felt stale because the guys who succeeded in NXT got buried on the main roster. Yes, that bit sucked, but, you know, it was nice not to have the same old faces doing the same old stories, which, when it happens, allows things to further descend into parody, which is what happens, which is what is happening with NXT right now. And what happened was, AW came along, with its creative expression, unscripted promos, like very live feeling format. And it just made you realize, oh, this is pro wrestling energy and it's back again. And that is why NXT lost. The ultimate narrative here is that WWE for years has said, oh, pro wrestling, it's just something that people used to do back in the 80s in the smoky bingo halls. Sports entertainment, that's what they should be. And that's what you plebs will receive, sports entertainment. I truly believe that the victory for AEW over NXT is a victory for pro wrestling over sports entertainment. So all that talk of wrestling, and AEW very much embraces wrestling because it just wants to be nitro but good. Defeated sports entertainment, which is meant to be the quote-unquote, and I can't believe they had the nerve to say this, sophisticated product. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, you talk about this in the in the article, and I often to push people through the article, I know that you, you're getting the, the, some of the key points here, but... Just go and look at it just for the excellent choice of image that uh, Sidgwick has put with the uh, AEW's Wednesday Night War victory because it is perfect, just perfect for this. But anyway, uh, the, the mutants will or will and did say, oh, congratulations, you beat uh, WWE's developmental brand. But you say yourself here, WWE did try literally everything. Yes, they tried to put the person who headlined that year's WrestleMania head-to-head against AEW Dynamite. They basically did that angle where Triple H just said, the doors are open, guys. I don't care who it is. You know, anyone from Raw or SmackDown, you know, all the main eventers, if you want, (laughs) come to NXT. And Becky Lynch turned up and several others turned up and they still didn't beat them in the demo. And they just squandered the guy who, in the... Inimitable words of Dave Meltzer was huge for teenage boys in Riddle, pause, um, given his, you know, well, I wouldn't put any kind of sexual imagery in the same conversation. And it's weird in retrospect, but ultimately, however it was phrased and whatever we think of Riddle, I don't like him. He was potentially the biggest demo draw they had. 
what do they do? They jobbed them more or less clean in the middle in the first 15 minutes with the idea being, don't watch AEW, just watch this and we'll give you the best version of this. Instead of building towards it, we'll just give you the best version of it straight away because we're spiteful and petty. And it's just funny, all those images of Triple H shaking hands with these uh, indie guys, which is funny in itself considering he said their ilk didn't know how to work 15 years ago in the case of CM Punk, but now that he can get over by osmosis by looking cool next to them, oh yeah, you do, you do know how to work after all. You do know <laughs> how to work after all. And all those times he decided, right, let's uh, shake hands. You can make me look cool. With the idea being, look, I'm Triple H. I'm going to get you big. I want to make you a star. Uh, in fact, I'd rather you didn't um, get to the most homes as possible on a Tuesday night away from um, AEW. I'm going to stifle your growth to be a knob. And That's what you're saying with those handshakes. And put you in a million title matches that have no meaning because they're just hoid on to, to pop a rating. The thing is, if only they'd had a previous war, which yes, they won in the end, but for a long period they were losing. They could have they could have learned from. I don't know. Can you think of any examples of that where maybe some other company have come in and had a war with WWE and embarrassed them? Yes, WCW. <laughs> that was funny. That was to be honest, like it's funny in retrospect because. Vince McMahon pissed and moaned. He wrote letters like bashing Ted Turner views and blood and all sorts. Um, Vince McMahon had an absolute, just to use wrestling's favorite word, an absolute bitch fit <laughs> at the idea of Ted Turner going, well, what they're doing with their position of money is they're stealing all of my guys and all these guys who are synonymous with the WWF and they're making more money from them. Why is that familiar, Vince? Like, to ask yourself this, why is it familiar? It's exactly what he did in the 80s. And when it was used against him, just a total hypocrite, a total toddler of a man. Suddenly, it's a bad thing. The thing that he did was suddenly bad. He was entitled, always entitled to run all of pro wrestling. When it didn't happen for all but two years, using his own tactics against him. He just had an absolute conniption fit because he's a baby. Didn't he, this almost have happened when he hadn't had a steak burrito yet? So it was funny, and at the time for me, it wasn't funny. Like, I was one of those WWF fans who was just conditioned to think, Oh, well, everything else is bad. I'm a tribalist, I was a loyalist WWE, WWF guy back in the day because you know I was 16, and that's probably what these guys hiding behind Roman Reigns Abbey's are on Twitter, so they're probably not worth talking about. But I was there. And at the time, I didn't feel like it was funny that they got embarrassed. But in retrospect, yes, it is, because they just did a better job of what they had done before. It's also really interesting. Obviously, you know, history is, is written by the victors because I wasn't a WCW fan. I was like you. And I was also, you know, not really aware that much of the, the Monday Night Wars when it was initially first happening because it was just, I got very brief glimpses of, you know, Sunday Night Heat on Channel 4 here in the UK and then slowly getting into it. And it's already sort of late 90s, you know, early noughties when I'm doing that. And it, the, the war's almost already over, basically. So you then watch the, the Monday Night Wars documentary on the network and, well, it turns out WCW weren't doing anything good. Like, you, you can't just say, oh, no, actually, they were far better than us in, in large aspects. It was just like, yeah, I suppose the NWO were all right, but we had D-Generation X and they were way better. Yeah, it's so awful to have to revisit it through their revisionist history lens to the point where like, I just don't 
bother watching their narrative on it at all. If you watch these things, what they'll do is they will frame the NWO as this big seismic influential moment and they'll say something to the effect of, because they have to, they have to make it a plausible bit of bollocks. And they'll say, oh yeah, we obviously took inspiration because, you know, the times are changing and, you know, it was the thing to do. And we were getting lapped by WCW. So we decided, look, this is what the fans want. We'll give them a better version into Generation X. <laughs> but what they'll do is they'll go through the, um, you know who I am. You don't know why I'm here. Scott Hall stuff. Look at the objective play. They'll have a bit of fun at the play. They'll do the bash at the beach thing. And then without going through any of 1997, where WCW's TV was immaculate, very heavy on heat, but when you've got a heel faction like that, why wouldn't you go heavy on heat? And what we'll do is, without telling you why the NWO was, NWO was so awesome, without going through the rise of Diamond Dallas Page, that incredible Sting story arc, they'll go, well, they started adding too many members and then it all went to rubbish. It's like, well, yeah, that did happen, <laughs> but it didn't happen straight after Bash at the Beach 1996. So that pisses me off. <laughs> A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Let's talk more about specific examples of, of WWE being embarrassed and talk about John Moxley, because I vaguely remember being in the office with you and, and Hamflet. And I think it's fair to say, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's fair to say you weren't exactly, you know, bouncing off the walls when Ambrose left, or Dean Ambrose left WWE and you were like, oh, he's, he's, apparently he's going to do some stuff in New Japan. And, you know, AW was a, a you know alien concept then. And then I just distinctly remember the shift of you coming in and going you need to see well, I don't know who this guy is this is a it's a different person he's not wacky dean anymore it was just and that that and obviously coupled with the way that AEW have and still do present him just it's night and day isn't it from Dean Ambrose to John Moxley here's my timeline I'll go even further back I'll try not to um rub it on too much but John Moxley he was a cult legend on the independent circuit to the point that when he arrived in WWE via FCW, there was 
all of this incredible buzz. CM Punk once tweeted out a picture of Ambrose working a dark match with the caption, our secret weapon. So CM Punk saying it, like, oh, Christ, if CM Punk saying this guy's good, then he's the most credible voice in pro wrestling at the time. Let's listen to it. So I did all my research, readied myself for the debut, and you just saw these compilations of these absolutely incredible John Moxley promos. This skeevy energy he had as this hardcore guy who could sell a match like that. Um, then he read reports that CM Punk willingly on his day off and think about what we know of CM Punk now to this version of him, considering how despondent he was by the end of his WWE run. He, on his day off, voluntarily worked a 25-minute match with Dean Ambrose. That's how high he was on this guy and how much he wanted to help him. Then you get the shield and it's like, right, he doesn't really talk that much and all the rest of it, but who cares? The shield thing are absolutely awesome. Absolutely awesome. And then he turns baby face and the shield break up and he's just like, I get vicarious embarrassment just by watching him. Mm. So much so that when he comes back, we go, all right, he's very small. He looks different. And then you realize, hang on, he doesn't look interested at all. And he does yet more embarrassing stuff as a heel to the point where well before he decides to leave, those memories of this incredible alternative like underground skeevy guy just feel like, oh, that's just something he used to do and he can't possibly recapture that again. There's no promotion in which he can do that mm. because AEW would only just sort of been a filed trademark and mm. announced the entity at this point. So he leaves and it's like, all right, that's a funny story. I don't really have this big clamor to like, see him because it's Dean Ambrose, he's a joke. And then he releases that video and people go mad for it. And I'm thinking, it's a bit hack this. It's a bit hacky this. Like, oh, he's escaping in asylum because he's the lunatic. And the imagery I thought was very on the nose and cliched. He's escaping the prison in which he was stifled. I'm thinking, not a good start this. It's a bit lame. And then he turns up with double or nothing. And it's like, right, this is cool, but I still can't pretend to get excited. It's not automatically good because he's in a new promotion. So I was like, I got the first glimpse of how cool I thought he was going to be when he was about to um, DDT Omega and Omega just like drove him through the ropes. I thought, it's got a bit of fire on this brawl, but we'll see it. Then he did talk with Jericho. Like, I fell in love with him from talk with Jericho. Mm. Fell in love. And then debuted at the best of the super juniors final in new japan i'm thinking christ almighty this is john moxley this is the <laughs> john moxley that i saw on those youtube clips all all those years ago and as i've spoken at length before he did the best finish in a modern match i've ever seen where he at once buried his old finish but put over juice robinson by having yeah. him kick out of it introduced his own glorious glorious glories he goes on the g1 and he has literally one of my favorite runs ever he's a total badass Bret Hart, he's Steve Austin, he's, he embodies everything that I love. He's funny, he's a strategist in the ring, all of his matches feel big time. Uh, I'm in love with this man. I'm in love with this man watching it. And what happens subsequent to that, Wilborn, is that John Moxley was so good in 2020 that I think for a lot of people he saved the perception of the industry. Speaking out made it look horrible. Mm. The pandemic made it feel drab. It was just this horrible, horrible industry. And yet John Moxley was the guy who just made you thankful it still existed somehow. 
Mm. And I think people needed that run. Like I, I'm not being hyperbolic there. I think people needed that run. run. And in that run, he was so funny. He was so believable. He just came off as such an admirable dude, worthy of your support, that the mere exist... I was trying to pinpoint when exactly I just went, I can't deal with anything about WWE. I see ropes and there's no cables. And I think what's automatically going to be either bad or a heavily, heavily produced version of something quite good or horrendously awful. And I just think, and I'm not exaggerating here, the mere presence and existence of John Moxley as this version of John Moxley makes me look at WWE and think, I can't watch this. Mm. I know what it could be because I'm watching John Moxley. I know what I love about pro wrestling and all of it's wrapped up in John Moxley. And the fact that John Moxley exists in 2020, 2021, late 2019 makes me think I can't watch WWE. I can't because that's what they do to people. And that's what they don't see in people. They, what they don't see or didn't see in John Moxley is everything I value in a pro wrestling performer. And the fact that John Moxley exists to create that contrast, I just can't. Like, I, I know what it can't be. And it can't be that because John Moxley hated it. I'd do you know what I mean? I, yeah, I, I, I was about to say, I'd love to have been a fly on the wall with, with Moxley. Obviously, he did, he did it in New Japan and you alluded to the Juice Robinson match there. But like getting into AEW and he, he, yes, there are higher ups, but he's effectively his own boss and just realizing that, oh, I don't have to wrestle this certain style and I can do these other random matches with, you know, Kenta or whoever it may be and, and bring people in from New Japan. And it brings me on to my next point. I can say what I think on, on the microphone without having to put it through this translator to WWE speak. And it's not just Moxie. I mean, you've used the image of MJF here, but across the board, and this isn't arguably only AEW. I know we've had, you know, people attempting to shoot when they go to TNA or whatever in, in promos on WWE. But yeah, you get embarrassed by just, again, I keep repeating myself here, but it is night and day when you look at, aside from, you know, a certain, say, Roman Reigns promos, obviously like CM Punk or whatever back in the day, now, when I love him, but when Drew McIntyre has to put over the forthcoming pay-per-view match and you compare that to, well, to MJF, for example, and I mean, it's, it, it, you can feel the, the, the Vince involvement in it all, can't you? Absolutely. AEW and New Japan have embarrassed the competition. The, the competition have embarrassed WWE because it's so obvious what's scripted and what isn't. And again, it's that AW New Japan operating as they do has made, just to my personal inclination, and I'd like to think it's shared by a decent amount of people given that AEW had support behind it in the first place. But it's just unacceptable to me the way WWE does things. It just it just is. There's an energy and a lot. And like WWE claim this is, a thing that they do as well. And it's a lot of bollocks because you can just watch their product. But you hear Stephanie McMahon in interviews and like, obviously they have to suck up with the fans to a degree, but she will say things like, we're nothing without our fans. WWE is this great live interactive show and it's uniquely positioned to be better than other sports, uh, other forms of entertainment, which are live. And, you know, we can change our storylines. She actually has the nerve to say this and you can mm. pull up any interview you like of... You know, where this live, dynamic, interactive 
entertainment medium like no other. And, you know, we can have the benefit of having a, a live feedback audience who can shape our storylines and make it all great to all men and women. Like, off, first of all. But second of all, that feeling that WWE claims that they have is this interactive thing. It's just, no, you script everyone or virtually everyone and it's polished, suffocating, inauthentic bollocks in which rubbish patter is volleyed over an invisible wall that does not exist. It exists to create contrived, like verbal spars that I can't take seriously. And the writing, the dialogue is horrific. It genuinely is horrific. You've got Alistair Black talking about white picket fences, drawing on the most cliched of imagery about guys what really hides behind the surface of America. And, you know, his promos are bollocks. The patter is bollocks. Nobody talks like this. It doesn't feel like there's stakes. It just feels like they're having spats and trying to do rubbish comedy. And then John Moxley, Eddie Kingston, have a face-to-face. It's like, oh, you hate each other. You hate each other, but you also have a love for each other and somehow you're making melodrama good. You have various, like, exchanges between Chris Jericho and MJF and you think, you really are good in for one spot and you're really trying to hold on to that same spot. And I can believe what you're saying because, and this is so goddamn simple, they are your words. WWE used the word wrestling as this pejorative to criticize AEW and the promotions and the, the philosophies from which they draw inspiration. But wrestling is, in WWE's minds, a dirty word. And all it means is we can't control those people. So that is bad because we love control and we are so arrogant to believe that we have a perfect way of doing things. Wrestling is not some old school bollocks thing. It is genuinely the energy that all of this is about. Extemporaneous creative expression. Like these people are artists. I've said it before. The analogy is they are trying to give sheet music to songwriters. We're not rather (laughs) a, a good songwriter you'd hear a better song that they can play rather than a cover version of something rubbish. <laughs> and it, 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 Like you say, if they were allowed to respond to the interaction of the crowd, <laughs> Becky Lynch cutting that promo immediately after SummerSlam when she's been with the company for however many years already would go, well, they're not receiving me as a heel here, so guess I'm not a heel. Mm-hmm. But no, all you people made me do this and Charlotte Blair's the real hero here. And you write about it in this article, they don't trust them. Grown adults, decades in the industry, you know, probably at least five years within the WWE developmental system at the bare minimum. Nah, don't trust you to to say what you're thinking and your, you know, your character's motivations are unless you read this verbatim. Madness. And then Riddle, you know, like, like you say, whatever your opinions of Riddle, that one where he forgot his lines and walked off against Asuka. I maintain this to the day that he knew it was such, I mean, it's iffy ground anyway, talking about Asuka and Japanese robots or whatever it was. But he knew if he didn't say what exactly they wanted him to say, he'd get a bollock in. And it was the lesser of two evils to just go, stop saying anything and just walk off. Yeah. And it was... By some distance, the only time people kind of liked him. 
because he's it's not just his the reaction to it would be different if his involvement in the speaking out allegations didn't come to pass people wouldn't be all oh, right i'm happy that he looks like crap on this main roster people would be like ah oh, ruined him oh, i liked him that's a shame but they still ruined him I know this rated RK Bro thing, we're probably using the one good aberration at present to support a point, but he's still been talking about bro nuts. He's still on a scooter. He's still an insufferable tosser. The about Matt Riddle is that, and again, no great shame, but I remember watching him on the indies and it's like, he was such a cool presence. Hmm. And what was nice about him then is that he was kind of like a cool jock guy who was like, handsome and hard and you'd think coming from a UFC background you might think less of WWE fans or wrestling fans and without fail every single one of them he would fist bump mm-hmm. he was like the guy at school you thought oh, I thought he'd be too cool to hang out with me and yet he wanted to hang out with you mm-hmm. he had a very what I'm driving at is he had a very likable disposition about him with which he got tremendously over and in WWE he has gone from the guy everyone wanted to fist bump and was delighted like, oh my really wanted to fist bump me he's a cool guy and now he's the guy everyone on screen hates. <laughs> Much less a big part of the WWE fan base. It's just what they do. And in various ways, as we've established on this podcast, they've been getting embarrassed for it. Mm. And uh, they have Dana Warrior in their rule dog work in there. So. Let's conclude uh, by WWE getting embarrassed by someone doing a storyline of theirs far better Five years after they did it, I'm talking, of course, about the invasion. Absolutely. All of this talk on this podcast is basically centered around one theme. WWE has a tremendous disdain for the independent scene and what they perceive to be the minor leagues. And, you know, why wouldn't they? They dominate all of wrestling. They won wrestling. In Vince McMahon's mind, all of this strengthened his resolve that everything he's ever done in his life has been absolutely fine. When in something like 2013, 14, 15, they were getting pelters for their depiction of Daniel Bryan and his name is relevant to what's about to come next. They were probably thinking, well, these stupid fans don't know what they want. Look at what we've done to this industry. It's synonymous with WWE. We are Hoover and they've got the temerity to think that we don't know what we're doing. And if you look at the way they've introduced CM Punk, Daniel Bryan, the two big indie names that they decided, oh, they've got enough buzz, we'll sign them. It's just, it's complete disdain. And what happened is in 2001, they bought out WCW. And what they did was they realized, hang on, the real established stars are all happy to sit out their Warner contracts. They would get paid the same amount or just about for doing nothing rather than to come and bump. (laughs) Why would they do that? Why would they do that? So instead, they were left with Diamond Dallas Page and Booker T, who, you know, if sufficiently built and presented on the level, could have theoretically led a half-decent go at a WCW invasion. We don't know because they didn't try. Mm. They buried them. Like, Diamond Dallas Page was buried into the core of the goddamn earth. Just buried. Absolutely buried. If you had Diamond Dallas Page, Booker T, and maybe you could have spun it in a way where... Chris Jericho and maybe Chris Benoit, like someone who was half synonymous with WCW could have said, right, okay, well, we're sick of the WWF for X, Y, and Z reason. We're going to defect. They could have drawn on the history 
that certain WWF performers had with the organization. It was never believable when Steve Austin did it because he became Steve Austin by burying WCW in effect when he was going through MZCW um, detour. But, you know, there's various things they could have done to establish it. It might not have been as good as it could have been had Hogan, Nash and Goldberg all been there and staying. But they could have made a fist of it. Rob Van Dam was so hot as a main event level talent that fans were ready to accept. He could have been front and centre of the invasion. Mm-hmm. People forget how unbelievably hot he was, but no, you had to stand behind Stephanie McMahon. You can't go hot. While they did one half decent invasion pay-per-view, which is a bit rubbish in retrospect if you watch it back, they didn't play with the idea of this incredible narrative opportunity of defections, of like conflicted loyalties, and how those loyalties could create things like suspense and drama and this big, massive narrative picture that you could have painted if you kind of wanted to with a little bit of work. They'll say, oh, we didn't have the stars. So we didn't have the stars in 2002, but you tried to push them. <laughs> Under the ruthless aggression banner. They just didn't want to do it. They didn't have the appetite to do it. Old, horrendous, arrogant instincts kicked in and thought, well, why would, why would they position them as a threat compared to the mighty WWF? We'll mm-hmm. not do that. So the idea was that WWF didn't want to do an invasion. And at that point, it was so cooked creatively that they probably couldn't have done it even if they tried. And if you put that together, this botched invasion with their disdain for the independent scene and how it's manifested in so many ways, there's a book in it. I'll leave <laughs> it there. And yet, 2006, Ring of Honor, Combat Zone Wrestling, work incredible interpromotional rivalry probably the best ever it wasn't as white hot and successful as new japan versus uwfi or the wcw versus nwo from which that drew inspiration both of which were disappointing and hugely successful at the same time in terms of how much money they drew versus the endings versus how little it got out of such this incredible thing ultimately in the end and yet humble Little idiot, indulgent, get your sh- independent guys decided to do this storyline in which they have a shared battleground of Philadelphia. They are sharing a day. They realize, hang on, we can spin something out of this. They've got both crews at both shows. Daniel O'Brien claims that he'll defend the title against anyone. Combat Zones, Chris Hero takes him up on the offer. From there, this mutates into this incredible twisting saga in which. Daniel Bryan ultimately screws over ROH because he's a real interior live human being who has one eye on his title match with Samoa Joe. So he decides, ROH, I'm the champion. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take out Samoa Joe in the climactic match. Huge shock. Over on the CCW side, that storyline is subverted when Eddie Kingston and Chris Hero come together, even though they hate each other, to fight for a common cause. You get homicide pushed in the most amazing vehicle. It's all completely viable, the storyline, because ROH is the pure wrestling company that's indebted to Puro and has its code of honor, which is something that Combat Zone Wrestling absolutely did not have because it was a super violent league. Completely organic conflict. They used conflict within conflict on either side to layer this saga at the point where no one can see it, but everything makes sense in these tiny little, honestly, one of the most deft things in pro wrestling history, this goddamn feud. It's amazing. Um, Jim Cornette's involvement was so astute because it was like, he believes all this. And because Mm -hmm. he believes it, I believe it. How much is he actually working here? The energy from these like um, 
brawls and these interlopers coming in to have the fights and the mass brawls were like, people knew, but it was so well done. They used every single resource they had to their advantage perfectly. And there was very little politicking because a clear side went over in the end without it petering out with this bollocks of, oh, well, we've got the biggest cock now. I think you'll find our cock's bigger. What are they accepted that they had an average cock and the other one had a probably bigger cock, so the bigger cock won, as they should have realistically, given where both sides were at. It was perfect. They said it couldn't be done. The people who they hate and have the most disgust towards actually proved that they could do it. And this list could go on and on and on. And I sense there will be another 10 more times the competition totally embarrassed WWE. But for now, go and check out the rest of the entries at whatculture.com. And let us know your thoughts on everything we've discussed at whatculturewwe on Twitter. Watch there. You can follow both of us. You can follow Michael Sidgwick at... Knackered after all that, as you can imagine. At M Sidgwick. You can follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at whatculturewwe. And make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts. And speaking of embarrassing WWE, uh, we'll be back with the Raw review, of course, tomorrow. Um, (laughs) What a pro. Right. Check out the whole article, as I said, whatculture.com. But for now, my thanks to this article's author, Michael Sidgwick. Thank you for joining us. And we will see you soon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.